But I think generally speaking, the move away from generic cannabis into branded cannabis is what's taking place. And quite frankly, it's no surprise. I mean, branding really is all about consistency. The brand setting a promise and the consumer buying into that promise. And then really it's a cycle from there. Either you lived up to your promise or you didn't. And if you did and it was enjoyable, then the consumer will come back. And the keys and cues to experiencing that same thing over and over again is packaging and branding and all the other things outside of what's in the package. And let me just say, what's in the package is the most important thing because you might try it once. If it's not what you thought it would be, then you won't come back again. You're listening to To Be Blunt, the podcast for cannabis marketers, where your host, Shada Taravi, and her guests are trailblazing the path to marketing, educating, and professionalizing cannabis. Light one up and listen up. Here's your host, Shada Taravi. It's the most wonderful time of the year. Okay, everybody. No, it's not Christmas. It's not the holiday season. It is October, baby. And I'm excited because I'm a Libra and my birthday's coming up. Not to mention there are a whole slew of cannabis events that are taking place this month that you may or may not be going to. And if you are, I would love to meet you. IRL, a few of those to put on your radar. I'm going to be in Vegas later this month at MJ BizCon, which is kind of like the pinnacle of cannabis conferences. They're kind of one of the OG cannabis conferences and kind of piggybacking off of that will be MJ Unpacked, which is a consumer packaged goods kind of focused cannabis conference more on the brand's So I think those are both going to be super wild and also very informative. Kind of the gist that I'm getting is if you're here in Texas or maybe Austin, you're more familiar with what South by Southwest is. Very chaotic, very fun, lots going on. I'm getting the vibes that that is what MJ BizCon is going to be like. Lots of after parties, lots of networking. So if you're going, I'd love to meet you. I would love to connect and If you have any parties or any ideas on things that are going on, please put it on my radar because it's my first time. I'm going to be the noob in the room and yeah, excited, but also really looking forward to when it's all said and done so I can reflect on everything. But those events are taking place kind of, you know, later October. And then after that, I will be flying to Oklahoma City. I am going to be a speaker at OK Women Can. It is a event put on by OK Women Can as a nonprofit in Oklahoma that is intended to help women in particular get involved with resources and just navigate the cannabis industry. They've partnered with IHC, International Hemp Coalition, as well as the Texas chapter, which is how I got roped into it. And yeah, just super honored to get to be reflecting and representing Texas. I'm super excited to get to speak. I'm going to be talking about how do you educate yourself so that you can educate others, which is obviously a key thing that I you know, reference here on the podcast a lot. And 
yeah, there's just going to be so much going on. Also, my birthday, like I mentioned, so I'm turning older. My birthday's going to be right before MJ BizCon, so I don't know if I'll have too much time to celebrate, but if you see me in Vegas, you can buy me a joint or an edible. I will happily accept both of those. But getting into today's episode, I have the pleasure of having author David Palaszczuk, and he is the author of Branding Bud, The Commercialization of Cannabis. His book has become a bestseller number one on Amazon in two different categories. And if the title doesn't give it away, we're talking about branding in today's episode. And y'all know how much I love branding. To me, out of all the functions of marketing, this is the one that I resonate the most with. And so to give you a little bit of background about who David is, he's got 15 years of brand building and consumer marketing experience serving. He formerly worked with American Express, major brand, MasterCard, major brand, Pepsi, and Microsoft. So just clearly some big heavy hitter companies that have built really well-known and well, you know, I don't want to say liked all the time, but well, you know, appreciated consumer brands. He's participated in developing and marketing many of today's best known brands. So obviously just reflecting on his career, he's been in, you know, in roles that have touched on brand strategy, brand development, brand management, and integrated marketing. He's also developed, activated, and led comprehensive marketing programs designed to connect brands with relevant communities in consistent, credible, and meaningful ways. Um, he entered the cannabis industry in 2012, and he has created profitable partnerships while working as the VP of licensing and brand partnerships at Dope Magazine and crafted award-winning cannabis-infused products as the chief brand officer at Evergreen Herbal. He's best known for his writings and thought leadership on cannabis branding and marketing, and his writings have been featured in Forbes, The Green Report, Green Entrepreneur, Dope Magazine, High Times, Cannabis Dispensary Magazine, MJ Retailer, The Cannabis Industry Journal, and so many others. So his book came out in April of 2020, actually on 420, and it is a wealth of knowledge for anybody who is really anybody. I think in the conversation, we definitely touch on acknowledging, you know, I'm somebody who comes from the industry a little bit, and I'm also coming from the culture of cannabis. I've been a kind of a lifelong cannabis consumer and also have a marketing background. So whether you have a traditional marketing background, whether you know nothing about the industry or everything about the industry, I think this book does give insight into, you know, just kind of David's personal experience as it applies to the cannabis industry and specifically into branding bud. And so, yeah, all that to say, definitely hope you enjoyed this episode. David shares a lot, but furthermore, hope that you check his book out because I do think his book is a good articulation and pulse for anybody who is looking to actually build and establish a brand in the cannabis industry. So without further ado, let's welcome David to the show. It's been a long journey for me coming into the cannabis industry. I've now been in the industry almost 11 years. But basically, it all started in 2012 when the I-502 law passed here in Seattle, Washington, or in Washington State, I should say. And with the passing of the I-502 law in Washington State, recreational cannabis uh, and adult use cannabis became legal. And I saw a lot of my friends leave um, Microsoft and Starbucks and Amazon and other companies to get into the industry here, whether they were cultivating or starting dispensaries. And so I thought it was very intriguing and thought I was in the right place at the right time. 
So I left Microsoft and joined a few of my friends and started to consult with them as they created their dispensary, now a chain of dispensaries in Washington. And I started to see that I did have skills that related. I've had 12 years uh, working at American Express and MasterCard. So I understood about transactions and purchases and the difference between specifically a shopping experience and a transaction. And with that knowledge, I was able to help them better understand how to develop and design their dispensaries. I had also owned an art gallery many years ago. So I was good at putting things on pedestals and merchandising and and laying things out in a way that made sense. And then coming back to the difference between a transaction and a shopping experience, it was clear once the dispensary had started to open up or opened up that there were different types of customers and different types of cannabis customers have different types of levels of knowledge and experience. So what we were trying to do is figure out how to best serve them. For example, a transaction and a transactor is somebody who's buying their gas or coffee and wants to get through quickly. So in this case, they want to pre-roll during lunch and they don't have much time. They know exactly what they want. And if they get stuck behind somebody that is asking the most basic of questions, whether it's what's the difference between indica and sativa, or what's the difference between THC and CBD, or what are all these form factors I'm staring at here? You know, what's the difference between flowers, waxes, and shatters, and beverages, and edibles, and sublingual slips, and transdermal patches? And then how do those affect me differently? So that in itself can take hours to really explain thoroughly to somebody. So understood quickly that it was not only about merchandising and setting up a dispensary in a certain way, but also understanding who the customers were. And so over time, with my previous new experience in the cannabis space, there was an opportunity for me to go join Dope Magazine. And I did. And what that allowed me to do as the vice president of uh, brand partnerships and licensing was to really meet many people in the industry across states and start to understand the industry, the various products that were being created, the different mindsets in different states, the different cultures in different environments, and really sort of position myself for a period at Dope Magazine, almost four years, where not only did I work there, but I started to write a three-page article called Branding Bud, which was really looking at the developing brand landscape over the course of the four years. And as I started to see that change and morph, And looked at it really with a critical eye of somebody that has an MBA and that worked at, again, American Express, MasterCard, Pepsi, and Microsoft. I was looking at products as consumer product goods. I was looking at them in very different ways than most in the industry, certainly early on. And that really led to the book. And the book is really a roll-up of interviews with hundreds of producers and processors and cultivators and influencers and attorneys and you name it, the folks that really make up the industry and sort of my take, if you will, on the history of cannabis and how that rolls into stereotypes, I guess, in more modern times and now breaking those stereotypes with the legalization of cannabis. So that's really been my almost 11 years in the cannabis industry and what has brought me to where I am. So just to finalize that, the book was launched on 420 of this year wink, wink. And so with the launch on April 20th, the book has launched and I continue to talk about it on Clubhouse and on my podcast. And to my surprise, the book has actually gone to 
number one on Amazon in two categories, which is both the branding and logo design category, as well as the green business category in books. So that I really think speaks to the time of where we're at, you know, the it's time for legalization. We are normalizing the plant and things are moving and people are learning about it and educating themselves. And that's what's most important. So full circle, that's what brings me to the cannabis space. That's been my history in the cannabis space. And here we are today. I absolutely loved that little history about yourself. I think it's so important for my listeners on the podcast to get a understanding of who our guests are, because I think that you kind of hit the nail on the head, especially representing, you know, the more corporate culture that you came from and how that I do believe for better or worse is not only influencing, but really driving the cannabis industry. I mean, you said a lot of words that I really want to reemphasize for the listeners. I mean, you talked obviously about CPG, consumer packaged goods. I talk about that topic a lot on the podcast and prior to hitting record, you and I were just sharing some similarities in the sense of, while I don't have the prestigious history and experience that you bring to the table, branding is something that I'm very passionate about in my career outside of cannabis as well. And so being able to observe how the industry has evolved and is continuing to evolve and the importance of understanding, you know, ultimately at the end of the day, to me, CPG is you have a product sitting on a shelf. And why is someone going to pick your product? And so another word you highlighted for reference, I wanted to reiterate is merchandising. I think those are some really key, but very also nuanced ways of thinking about cannabis products and ultimately branding. And so kind of to kick it off, I really wanted to understand from you because I did get a copy of your book and I read it and I I loved it. I mean, I think there's a lot of information in there for people, whether they are newer to the industry and just trying to get a pulse to people like myself who've been steeped in it for a while and have gone through a lot of different history of the industry as well as history of the plant. And then bringing it into just, yeah, the commercialization, the branding of Bud, as you put it. But in the book, you were talking about generic brands versus brand names. And I thought that it had a really interesting history that just kind of helps us touch on the importance of building a brand in general. And so I was hoping you could kind of reiterate that for us right now. Sure. Well, essentially generic means unbranded, if you will. So in this case, in the case of cannabis, it's interesting when you have unbranded cannabis. And I think for those that are most experienced with it, that's what cannabis has always been. Growing up in New York, it was either brown or green and it came in a baggie and you were lucky to get something of right. quality. Today, we're certainly out on the West Coast, we're absolutely jaded with with not only the ability to purchase many types of cannabis, but in many forms as well, and then many brands on top of that. So really, generic just comes from, in the cannabis space, is really buying non-branded cannabis from cultivators that may often sell through a dispensary or legally sell through a dispensary. And typically, it's really based on the strain more than anything else. In some states where it's still legal, you can actually smell the cannabis and ask for it. They call it deli style, which I think is funny coming from New York, but that's what they call it out here. And for example, in Washington state, that's not allowed. Everything has to be packaged. So once things move toward being packaged, 
then the move away from generic, if you will, started to happen. There are some house brands, for lack of a better way of calling it, where a dispensary or adult use store has a relationship with cultivator. The cultivator may really focus on cultivation and may not even understand branding. So the fact that they have a relationship and they're able to sell it through the dispensary or adult use store with their brand layered on top of it, that happens often as well. But I think generally speaking, the move away from generic cannabis into branded cannabis is what's taking place. And quite frankly, it's no surprise. I mean, branding really is all about consistency and setting the brand, setting a promise and the consumer buying into that promise. And then really it's a cycle from there. Either you lived up to your promise or you didn't. And if you did and it was enjoyable, then the consumer will come back. And the keys and cues to experiencing that same thing over and over again is packaging and branding and all the other things outside of what's in the package. And let me just say, what's in the package is the most important thing because you might try it once. If it's not what you thought it would be, then you won't come back again. But once you get beyond that hurdle and have a quality product, which is really a given, then it really comes down to have a Coke and a smile, right? It's not necessarily about carbonated water, sugar, and food coloring. It's about how it makes you feel. Absolutely. No, I couldn't agree more. I definitely think that a brand is defined to me like by the simplest idea of creating that experience for their target consumer. And I think so often, and even personally speaking, I think trying to figure out you know, who your target consumer is, is a little bit of a challenge because I think there's a lot of people who want to be everything to everyone especially as cannabis does go mainstream. It's, you know, hey, this is for everybody. This is for your mom. This is for your brother. This is for you. Whether you want to feel relaxed and just have a better night's rest, or you just want to personally take it for recreational purposes to enjoy music or books or just being outside a little bit more enjoyably. And so it is really interesting as the traditional kind of practices of building a brand are then being applied to the cannabis industry And so in the book, you actually have a quote that said, products are designed to bridge gaps in the market. Those markets have specific customers and those customers have specific needs, needs not necessarily connected to the product or even consumption of the product. This aspirational approach to marketing is how products are sold to consumers. And so I was wondering if you could expand on some of the key things businesses need to be considerate or rather conscious of as they set out to grow their business into a brand? Because again, to me, I don't really think, I think businesses can be brands, but I don't think all businesses are brands. And there's a key path that businesses need to take to transform into a brand. Absolutely. And that quote is so well said. (laughs) Well, starting off, there are needs which are real and there are needs which are perceived. And so we need to start to think about what are the basic needs and then what are those needs that we aspire to? You know, in its most simplest form, we are living, we are consumers and we live in a consumer society. We no longer look at cars as a means of transportation, getting us from one place to another, but rather a social a status symbol. And so we've really moved beyond the basics. And I often talk about, we live in entertainment economy. Everything is about entertainment these days. Few things are really about the basic needs. So 
when you start to think about that, you start to think about the lives we lead, or even more importantly, the lives we would like to lead, there's so much room for a brand owner to start to really hook these people into making them believe that their products really create more than just basic benefit, but rather something bigger. And, you know, I think in marketing, it's really intriguing. If you think about the course of probably the last, I don't know, let's say 100 years in marketing, maybe slightly less, 75 years in marketing, everyone was initially focused on benefits, the benefits of a product. And the benefits of a product are, let's say, a car, you know, miles per gallon. It gets better gas mileage than the others or other types of benefits. And there's millions of them. But initially, that was the key. This product helps you with something. It gets you from point A to point B. It can do it cheaper. It can do it faster. It's more convenient, right? That was sort of like the initial launch into the consumer product goods space and into sales and marketing. But then we slowly moved into how does a product make us feel over time? Once our basic needs were satisfied, then it was really how does something make us feel? So is it a Coke and a smile? Is it don't leave home without it? or priceless. Those are things that make us feel comfortable and trusting, but it was more about feel. And then over time, it was more about really what we aspired to or what we believed in, you know, whether it's just do it or those types of thoughts and taglines, which, you know, pulled us along as consumers. And finally, I think we're in a place now where it's more about what we believe. So we buy a product because we believe in the brand's message and we associate with that brand because they're in alignment with our perspective on life. And we've gotten just to a really different place than where we used to be. So, you know, when I break down what you just teed up for me, it really is a combination of what are our basic needs and what are, you know, aspirations beyond that. And really, when we start to develop brands, and and one of the things I often talk about is creating a meaningful cannabis brand, and really there are four pillars to that. There's an equation to me that, that pulls it all together. And even though it's much more complicated than an equation, I try to break it down that way. And so the first component of the equation is really the consumer and who they are, what they believe, what's their lifestyle, can they consume cannabis discreetly or non-discreetly or indiscreetly? What's their need state and ritual? When are they consuming? How are they consuming? Is it tincture in the morning? Is it a bong hit in the morning? Is it a sublingual slip in the evening? Is it topical or a bong or a bath oil? It could be so many things, but what is that? And how does that fit into their lifestyle? And then really that drives the form factor. Again, if they are a mother of three, they might and most likely not be lighting up a bowl in their living room, where if they're a single individual, maybe they would, you know, or if they're a patient, maybe they won't smoke, but they would use a sublingual slip or a transdermal patch. So there's so many different scenarios could be again out at lunch, you know, and they can't come back to the office smelling like weed. So there's different rituals and need states that drive the form factor which helps people choose their means of consumption. And then lastly, it's really the brand archetypes. The brand archetype or a brand archetype is really all the packaging and the bells and whistles that overlay the product that is really a shortcut, if you will, for a consumer to better understand what this product is. 
Is it wrapped in craft paper or recycled paper? Does it look more earthy? Then maybe there's cues about being organic or being a type, a certain type of product. Is it flashy and, and bright? Maybe that implies other things. But at the end of the day, that brand archetype, including the letters, the fonts, the colors, the packaging, the material, that all is the outermost layer to creating the meaningful brand. So it really comes down to it's the consumer, it's their lifestyle, it's their need state, it's the form factor, and it's the archetype that's overlaid, which really creates a meaningful brand for people to relate to on both real and perceived levels. I really appreciated that because, I mean, again, from my background and just like where my passion like gets lit up, it's thinking through all these different things. Like you highlighted, you know, who am I selling to? What need am I closing a gap in the market? Not only that, but then obviously how does the package get presented? What is the color? What is the font? What is the, you know, form factor, as you mentioned, because I do think those are all different variables that ultimately do make up the components of perhaps why a brand is more standout than another brand. And so to kind of follow up on that, again, in the book you were talking about, which I thought was so fascinating. Again, I think there's, you know, you even mentioned, you know, traditional marketing over the past 75 years. And I do have a marketing background as well. I have an MBA background as well. And so I do think that I'm somebody who comes from the more traditionally taught and educated concepts that relate to how do you market products or how do you market things. But obviously with technology advancing the way that it's advancing, there's lots of tools that make marketing more accessible to people without having to have such traditional backgrounds. I don't think that one is necessarily right or wrong, but just how things get kind of framed in my mind and my perspective. And so in the book, you brought up a story reflecting on cereal boxes and how kind of the identity inside the cereal box perhaps, you know, maybe wasn't that much different than the one in the next box, but it was what the packaging was. It was what the messaging was. It was what was contained on the exterior of that box that was making that consumer feel something to want to pick that particular product. And so kind of taking that history rather kind of of marketing and packaging and applying it and imposing it into the cannabis industry, we operate in an industry. CBD hemp is kind of an aside to that because we can sell direct to consumer more easily when we're dealing with CBD products. It's obviously federally legal. I can be on my own website independent. I can do marketing tactics and do campaigns and and just create a much, I think, easier path to create that consumer experience compared to the legal marijuana industry, which I know is opening up in terms of being able to have certain aspects be direct to consumer. But because it's creating certain barriers, whether it's your product has to sit on a shelf with, you know, maybe four or five other types of products that are equally same, same, but different, or whether it's your products are isolated to, let's say, Washington state versus California, you know, you can't cross state lines. And even though some brands have transcended that by setting up operations out of state, we're still limited. And so I'm just curious kind of how you approach that and how you would Give somebody some sort of, you know, guidance into how to start approaching it when you're looking at, 
you know, okay, well, I want my product to be in a dispensary. I'm, let's say, making an edible, but my edible is sitting amongst, you know, four or five other products. What is kind of the, you know, the tip of the day, if you will, for someone who's looking at how do I set my product apart from someone else's knowing that I'm in a really competitive and saturated and restricted market? Hello, just want to take a quick moment to thank my sponsor and full disclosure, my company, Restart CBD. Restart CBD is a brand that I built with my sister, so we are family-owned and women-owned. We do operate a brick and mortar in Austin, so if you ever find yourself in Central Texas, we'd love for you to come say hi. But we also ship nationwide, and we carry a wide range of CBD products. We really care about this plant. We really care about educating our customers. This show would not be possible without their support. So please go check us out at restartcbd.com and use code to be blunt for $5 off your next purchase. Thanks. And let's go back to the show. Well, that's a great question. And, and the one that figures out that question is the winner, really. But there's different ways. One is, and the way you just teed up that question is, there's four products or five products, let's say, that are sitting on a shelf. How do you differentiate one from the other? And I think the truth is, is that, let's step back. In the real world, people are bombarded with marketing and marketing cues and brand cues all the time. So more often than not, by the time you're going into a store to purchase something or getting online to purchase something, you've experienced it in one way, shape, or form. You've seen it in an advertisement, in a billboard. You've heard it on the radio. Your friend wore it, something like that. But in the cannabis space, according to the statistics, which I'm a little skeptical about, but according to the statistics, most consumers walking into a cannabis dispensary or adult use store are not familiar with many of the brands and don't even fully are not fully sure of what they're going to buy once they walk in there. So that makes it even more confusing, right? If you walk into a space where there's beverages and there's edibles and there's topicals and there's flour and there's pre-rolls and there's waxes and shatters and butters and you name it, right? I could go down the list and people are lost. So how do you, now the question is, how do you do that? And really, I think it has to start off with bud tender education. Surprise, surprise, not making your product necessarily neon to stand out on the shelf, but bud tender education and really starting with the front line. Who is there talking to that confused consumer? It's the bud tender. So if you can educate bud tenders about your product, if you could sample your products, if you could do vendor days where you can go into the adult use stores or the dispensaries and have a brand ambassador that's knowledgeable about the product, that's really important. And I think that's really key. So when somebody does ask, what gummy should I buy? Or this is my first time here. I have a low tolerance. What do you recommend? Or I want to sleep or I want to be active. Whatever those questions are, it's the bud tender that's really directing them. So I think First and foremost, it behooves any brand to buddy up with the bud tenders and to create educational programs and incentives, if you will, 
to really help them educate. And even in a more perfect world, educate them about cannabis consumption, not necessarily their brand, but of course, if they're footing the bill for the materials and the marketing assets, of course, it's going to be about their brand. But that's like the first thing. Then we start to get into how do you stand out on the shelf? And again, that first way is by the bud tender pointing toward your product. But beyond that, there's different ways. And really, I think this, you know, when you think about it, the, the next thing really up is price. You know, what can somebody afford to spend on something? And I could work my way, you know, really through the consumer journey, if you will. But, but let's flip that around for a moment. Now, let's say you are a brand and you have the ability to create any type of product or form factor. What would you create? And that's maybe even a bigger question. You know, like, where are the gaps in the market? Where are people suffering? Where do they need a different type of product? There was a product that came out not too long ago called Cannabumps, which was a white powder, although it was THC. And it got laughed out of the market. And many of the dispensaries that carried it for a moment, you know, ditched it very quickly. So that being said, I think there's both sides of the coin, which is really what do customers need and how can a brand fill that gap? And then the other side of it is what does the brand uniquely have that's special to it that can differentiate it on its own? Is it a cultivation brand? And for some reason, they have this amazing special product because maybe they're in a special place like, I don't know, Humboldt County or Mendocino where you know, the light is perfect, the sun and the moon and the stars and everything else that affects the plant is perfect, then maybe that's what their brand ethos becomes. But I think it can work both ways. You can create brands that are meaningful because of the skills and skill sets and experience of the brand owners. Other people that are talented and capable can come to the market and see a wide, you know, an opening in the market and say, hey, we can do that. We can offer a product up to those consumers and help them. So there's lots of ways of coming at it. And therefore, you know, lots of cannabis products out on the market. No, that was wonderful. I think obviously sometimes maybe people's approach to that is thinking that it's a trick question, right? Like there is one path to the top or there is one way to be a successful brand. And you obviously articulated so eloquently that there really isn't one true way to be successful, but really it's figuring out understanding like where you're playing, what is the market? What is the need? What is the gap? What is the opportunity? What is your passion? What is the skill set that you and your brand and your team bring to the table and trying to take again, these traditional practices of brand building that we have seen be executed so greatly by brands like Coca-Cola and Pepsi and MasterCard and a lot of these companies that you do come from who have established some differentiating point to something that maybe isn't so different when you get under the hood, but that creates that you know effect for that consumer to want to consume or try or be loyal to your product, which is another aspect of branding that I'm really keen on is how do you build that loyalty, right? But I do think that we have an interesting consumer. I know we talk a lot about target customers when you're dealing with branding. You obviously reflect a lot about it in the book, but just for, you know, kind of fodder, it is hard. And I don't want to discredit that, right? Because I think there's definitely the traditional cannabis consumer, perhaps maybe more like myself and maybe like yourself, where 
I will try anything, you know? And so maybe if I go into a dispensary, the bud tender, I can have that conversation where I'm speaking a little bit more their language of understanding, you know, Hey, you know, what is a new product I should try? Maybe they haven't tried it, but they're like, Hey, you should try this. Cause it's just, you know, came on the market. I'm a little bit more open to that compared to, which I do think is driving the industry, right? That new consumer who perhaps maybe isn't so comfortable smoking something, or they maybe don't want the highest dose of something. And so reflecting on that kind of thought process, there is so much space in the industry, I think, for people to be successful. I mean, you mentioned all these different form factors, right? Like I was just in Colorado. I just tried a newer brand to me. It's not a new brand, but Keith, they're making like a cannabis soda and I think cannabis beverages is obviously very popular. And I do talk about that a lot on the podcast, just reflecting on, again, when you start looking into the data, it's interesting. I think Headset pulled some of this data, but they had a report a couple months ago that I was digging into. It's like the number one performing cannabis beverage in California is a microdose. And then the number one performing cannabis beverage in Washington state is like hundred milligrams per bottle. So, you know, there's a huge disparity in relationship to the doses of the products, but both are equally successful by the data, but it really just kind of breaks down into, you know, time, place, consumer, target customer, um, and things like that. But I definitely agree in terms of when you're in a dispensary experience, being able to not only, obviously you need to understand the brand that you're bringing to market, but then like transcending, transpiring, transferring that information onto the bud tenders, or like you even highlighted, being able to do opportunities and experiences where people can connect with your brand in person, which I think cannabis does have a little bit of a challenge navigating just based on the laws and regulations. But obviously when people can you know, experience the product firsthand, they can then make their own decisions on, oh, this made me feel this certain way, et cetera. But I think that going back to kind of the data point, you do have Actually, the foreword of your book is written by the co-founder of Headset, which is one of the leading data companies in the cannabis industry. And I've actually had one of their directors, Jocelyn Sheltra, on the podcast really early on. So sometime last year, which is a really great episode for anybody who wants to go back and listen to that, where she dives into a lot of just some of these discoveries and understandings that we're no longer shooting in the dark. I think when cannabis first was kind of hitting into the mainstream and you reflect this in the book too, a lot of the marketing and branding was very cannabis culture, smoke culture. It had particular colors. It had a particular, you know, maybe like messaging or imagery associated to it. But now that I think we're having cannabis not only be more adopted by this wide demographic of people, you're now seeing different types of brands emerge. And so I'm just curious, you know, kind of from your perspective, sitting in a position where you, especially from your time at Dope Magazine, were just observing all these different types of brands, how you've seen the data of actually who the consumer is actually translating into what products are being successful based on just kind of what the data is actually reporting. Yeah. Wow. Boy, you touched upon a whole bunch of things there. So let's start off with consumers, right? So there are so many different types of consumers in the cannabis space, and I think of them in six groups. There's really six concentric rings, if you will. There's the can of core. Those are the folks that consume every day that are most knowledgeable and get deep in the weeds, like us. And then there's the can of comfortable. Those are folks that are probably our partners and that are around us, and maybe they consume every so often, but they're still knowledgeable. Maybe they consume on the weekends. Then there's the slightly removed kind of casual 
they consume every so often. They're interested in cannabis, but it's not really part of their lifestyle per se. Then as you move out, there's the can of confused. Those are the folks that are interested, but they're not quite sure if CBD gets you high. And they still haven't yet really made any moves to sort of educate themselves. And then after the can of confused, there's the can of neutral. And, you know, they're, like I said, they're neutral. And, and if we wanted to appeal to them, we could, but maybe they're not even worth it. And then lastly is the can of contra. And those are the folks that are just against cannabis. So when I look at these concentric rings and different consumer segments, I talk to them very differently, right? A can of confused person or a can of casual you know, they're the person that's in the corner of the pool, in the shallow end, they have a toe dipped in, maybe they're going to come in, but they need coaxing. And you need to talk to them in that way. You need to educate them. Like, look, the water, the pool is very shallow. The water is very warm. There's nothing dangerous here where you have a life preserver on. We're here to support you in that. And, and you know, you're, you're pulling them in little by little. But by the time you're talking to someone that's kind of comfortable or kind of core, you're really talking to them in a very different way. And you're talking to them as if they're part of the community and communities always have their own language, always have their own subset of ways of communicating. So I think the first thing is really to, to figure out who you're talking to, who the consumer is, and what tone and what words do you use in order to make them feel more comfortable. And then really, you know, as you pointed out, there really is a difference in consumers for sure. Being based in Washington, as is headset, by the way, we did some research many years ago when I was the chief brand officer at Evergreen Herbal and created a number of beverages that were not only created with specific information and data points that we leveraged from research, but also, you know, we saw the difference and have, and I've completely watched the difference now between what's going on in California with some of the lower dose brands and what is transpiring here in Washington state with not only higher dose beverages, but those higher dose beverages have even moved toward concentrate, concentrated beverages. So it's been really interesting to see. And, and let me just sort of share a little bit more in depth. So we created a brand or a number of beverages here in Washington state called Blaze American Cola and some other names as well, different flavor profiles. But what we saw and we started them off with different dosing. So we would have the same flavor profile, but with a 10, a 30, a 60, and then a 100 mag, 100 mag being the cap in Washington state. Now, 100 mags is considered 10 servings. Now, 10 servings in a bottle, especially a glass bottle with a crown cap, which everybody knows is just a, a one-time use, like a soda bottle, they're going to drink that beverage. Now, really, what they don't know is that they're drinking 10 servings. And of course, it's in large letters on the bottle that this is 10 servings. But for the most part, people in Washington state buy a bottle, it's 100 megs, and they, and they consume it that way. The trend has actually gone not only up to the, to the ceiling, but once up into the ceiling, it has actually gone now to some of the bigger sellers here. And they're concentrates like, if you will, almost five-hour energy shots. So again, we're trained, if you will, to swig a five-hour energy shot. So now you're swigging 100 megs of THC, and that's you know dangerous to a lot of people. Let's put it that way. 
but there's other people that would consume that. So we started to see these trends here in Washington, whereas conversely, we're starting to see can and some of the other low-dose, microdose beverages coming out. Now, what's interesting is those products are appealing to different consumer segments. And we could track that through data from Headset and other companies that are doing point-of-sale data. Can, for example, sells, I'm not quite sure if it's a four-pack, I think it's a six-pack, but they sell a six-pack of smaller, shorter cans, which are microdosed. And again, the form factor drives a lot of what's going on. Now I purchase a six-pack. I could take it to my friend's house. I could treat it like a six-pack of beer. We could socialize over it. It becomes a session product. You know, whereas that concentrated macrodose product in Washington State, you know, it's really for those folks just really wanting to get buzzed and get buzzed quickly. So, you know, that said, it's different consumer, different need state and ritual different form factor, even though they're both liquids, they are a different form factor, and different outer layer brand archetype. Can has really gone over the top in terms of, you know, their ads, their colors, their billboards on Sunset Boulevard, you know, their connection to the LGBTQIA plus community. You know, there's a lot of that going on with Can. So they're really appealing to a different consumer segment. And, you know, we'll see over time, which brand has the right approach? And again, I think the answer is there is no right approach. There are different communities with different needs and therefore different brands and form factors appeal to them. That was the best breakdown, I think, of just the reality of the market, right? Again, I try to always be realistic for my listeners on the podcast. And so you know, giving people not necessarily the, this is the only way to achieve success, but the reality is there's many ways to achieve success, but obviously it does take some work and understanding and, and crafting to create ultimately a brand that is going to be successful, right? I think the whole goal is not to create something, you mentioned cannabumps, you know, maybe they had better intentions, but unfortunately maybe didn't fully think through the application and how that was going to land in the market. And so I think that's where we're going to kind of continue to watch as different brands emerge and hit the market and start to go through this process of ultimately, I mean, eventually being one of these iconic brands. I think when we look back, you know, 10 years from now on where things have kind of settled in the cannabis industry, hopefully it's a little bit calmer compared to where we've been for, you know, the previous 10 years. But definitely this emergence of brands is not going away. And, you know, your book just reemphasizes the importance of being conscious and considerate of it as people are embarking in the industry, which is always my hope with the podcast is just to give people the tools and the time to think critically on how to best approach being in the industry. Of course, every state, as you just, you know, kind of shared again, is different. Every community is different and that's a good thing. And so we need to kind of take these different cues, learn from our peers, learn from the industry as it's evolving and ultimately brace for federal legal legalization because i think that's going to you know add more complexity into all of this and i do believe having strong brands is what's going to succeed so um i should appreciate you know you taking the time for being on the podcast and getting to connect and just want to kind of leave it up to you if there's any final thoughts that you want to share no well thank you thank you again for having me first and foremost i think what you're doing is fantastic and i think you know, really the folks in the industry need to come together and not only think about what we're doing and how we're serving things up, 
but we really need to think about who the consumers are, you know, what their need states are, what their rituals are. And even more importantly, because the bigger group of folks out there are the can of curious. So start thinking about the can of curious, start educating people as best you can start using words that are more meaningful and more definable and less scary. Let's start normalizing the plant and educating the folks that are interested in the plant. And again, there's more can of curious folks than there are can of consumers. So we just need to be mindful about that and really be responsible, you know, responsible stewards of an industry that's just starting out. And that means a lot of the things that are happening on the social equity side, it means creating products that don't have pesticides in it. It means going above and beyond to do the right thing. And I think if we can all do that, then perhaps years down the road, this industry will, will be looked upon as maybe the one to look toward for best practices as opposed to where we are today, which is being on the inside looking out saying, what best practices do we need to really apply to get on the right track and stay on the right track. So those are my biggest concerns with people like you, Shada, and efforts of other people that we both know. I think we're headed in the right direction. I think we're doing the right thing and time will tell. So with that, I thank you again for having me on your podcast. What an informative episode and also... You know, I guess the good news is there's not really a magic mix of what makes the perfect brand so much as what is going to be the best brand to service the needs of the customer set and the unique target demographic of where your product is existing in. So for example, Texas versus California, Florida versus Maine. Who's the customer? What is the product? And ultimately then building your brand around that. So that was a loaded podcast. I always encourage further discussion, whether it's with me or with, you know, peers in your direct circles, but keep the conversation going. I think these are really important thoughts to be considerate of as cannabis continues to go into the mainstream. You know, we can't shy away from building brands. It's inevitable, I think, especially as we do inch towards federal legalization, that it happens to every other industry. You know, who is Netflix? What is Apple? MasterCard. Like, these are really iconic brands that have really iconic brand identities. And so being able to apply what those brands have done to not only the cannabis industry, but ultimately to your business, therefore turning your business from a business into a brand is really the magic sauce. So Godspeed, good luck to everybody who is embarking in this industry and trying to establish themselves and building a brand, whether you're the brand builder or you're just helping someone else operate their brand. So that's the episode today. I'd love to communicate with you. Feel free to reach out on LinkedIn, add me, Shada Tarabi. Find me on Instagram at the Shada Tarabi or at To Be Blunt Pod. And the more the merrier. Let's keep having these discussions as we watch the industry continue to unfold. With that said, that is all I've got for today. New episode will be out next week on Monday. But if you want to be curious and go explore some of my previous episodes, They're all really great content, really great guests sharing their expertise, touching on many aspects of what it's like to build a brand, run a brand, grow, market, and ultimately try to find success in the cannabis industry. Talk to y'all later. Bye-bye.
Love this episode of To Be Blunt? Be sure to visit theshadatarabi.com slash tobeblunt for more ways to connect. New episodes come out on Mondays. And for more behind the scenes, follow along on Instagram at theshadatarabi.com.